Romans chapter 8. We're rereading verse 4. And verse 4 is incomplete without the context of verse 3. So begin, therefore, what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4, in order that, We've been dealing with that purpose clause. The righteous requirement of the law, that's our next consideration, might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The Lord add blessing to the reading of his word. Heavenly Father, we honor you and thank you for this bright morning. Thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to gather together. Once again, we pray that you will cause your word to settle in our hearts, that that which you desire to plant will be planted so deeply so we can be able to reap mighty fruit for the sake of the agenda that you've placed in our hearts and lives towards the fulfillment of the destiny. And so we ask, Lord, that you will bless us, grant us the unction of the Holy Spirit that we so badly need in order to convey the things that heaven desires today. We seek these mercies through Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, with thanksgiving. Amen. Praise God. You may be seated. When part number 12 of our theme for the year, and we're looking at understanding spirit empowerment in the mission of Christ. Alongside Romans chapter 8, which we have read today, I need to draw your attention to Revelation chapter 7 and verse number 9 on this Palm Sunday. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, and people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. Now, like I told you, I marvel. And I can only marvel as a human being at God's strategic level of causing things to just fall in place. Now, that's our perspective. In his economy, he plans it and knows when he will orchestrate what and why. But it becomes an amazing experience for us. Because this week, as I've been looking at, at um, the material, when you're, when you're doing a series, we still keep going over the material. And there's always new stuff that God is doing and adding. I was just amazed 
at the fact that Revelation 7, which is part of what we have to deal with today, mainly because Revelation 7 is part of that architecture of what we were concluding last week as we were teaching on the implications of divine intentionality, which two implications were prayer being a strategic, spiritually empowered weapon, which should not remain, which should not be a program, but a lifestyle. The second, worship, being intended to be a lifestyle matter for our sustained connection with the Lord. Sustained connection with the throne room. And remember, we went to Revelation chapter four and talked about the five hymns that are in chapter four and chapter five. But those five hymns are not the only hymns in the book of Revelation. For those of you who've been coming to the Bible study, you know that there are more hymns. Chapter seven contains some hymns. Chapter 11, chapter 19, and then there are a number of them in the book of Revelation. So we're already going to come to this thing. But I'm amazed that it's falling today. When the preamble to the hymn in chapter seven positions the outlook of a throng of God's people around the throne, in the throne room. And the Bible says with palm, or dressed in white robes, but with palm branches in their hands. So we'll be focusing on that a little bit today. The total sum of what we looked at last week helped us to reflect on the fact that when we are called to look at worship, the attributes of God, His glory, His honor, thanks, help us to understand the strategic nature of worship in addition to prayer. We observe verse number 10 of um, Revelation chapter 4. The 24 elders falling down before Him who sits on the throne to worship Him who lives forever and ever. And we explain that falling down is about prostration on the ground. The Greek word clearly indicating the fact of conveying the idea of making obeisance, reverence, prostration before Him whom we must give reverence. And we gave those examples of the kings and the chiefs that we have here in Zambia and, and across Africa and how we honor them. We concluded by indicating the fact that all this was actually the culture and the order of the New Testament. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Acts chapter 3, verse 1 onwards, clearly showing that this was the life of the church in the New Testament and showing that the Holy Spirit remains the ultimate enabler, not by accident, but by God's deliberate intentionality to empower and lift his church in order that we would be able to have seen completely overcome and the law being fully met in us. It's a serious call to radical commitment.
with that in mind, having dealt with divine intentionality, we move today to deal with defined infrastructure. Defined infrastructure. All part of God's plan. When you read the first portion of verse number four, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. The infrastructure there that is defined by the Lord is the righteous requirement of the law. That is set. It's not a haphazard affair. As much as prayer and worship are planned to be part of the architecture of your life and my life, so is this ideal of the righteous requirement of the law to be fulfilled in us. Now read that very carefully. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Fully met in us. There is design there. We have heard the word infrastructure very often, and we know we hear it more from politicians. And sometimes you think this detail belongs to some sector and remains there. But let me define infrastructure for you and I, for our better understanding, because when I read here, I see spiritual infrastructure. Somebody shout hallelujah. Infrastructure, in the basic English dictionary, refers to an underlying base or foundation, especially of an organization or a system. So it's set, it's worked out. It talks about a built arrangement. Something that is built. So in ordinary terminology, infrastructure refers to the basic facilities. So the English dictionary says, services and installations needed for the functioning of a community or a society. So when the politicians are talking about roads, they're talking about Road as part of that infrastructure in the system of our functionality as a society. When they talk about hospitals and, and schools and so on, this is built. This infrastructure is part of the built environment that is supposed to enhance our livelihood. So we know what services to go for where. It's a provision meant to be part of our lives. Likewise, 
God has provided for your life systematically. He has built in the spirit realm a system for you and I to operate in. And it would be laughable today to build all these roads and then we avoid them and we, we instead uh, uh, either walking on the sides or driving on the sides, especially if it's driving. If these bituminous um, level roads, the tarred roads, as they are, are left alone and we, we find other places to drive, we would say, why did we build them? But we build them so we can drive on them. So we can travel on them. So God has built a spiritual infrastructure. And it's introduced here in verse number four. It's an installation. Remember Romans contains a very rare treatment of the matter of God's law. God's law existed way before you and I. The word law, we have said, is used variously, and we indicate again here in the book of Romans, to refer to a controlling power. And we know very well that in the context of Romans, when the word law is used, in mind, the Apostle Paul had, for instance, the five books, first five books of the Old Testament, known in theological circles as the Pentateuch, Penta five, the first five books of the Old Testament. Now those first five books were special because they contained the 10 laws, the commandments. So when Paul is using this terminology here, he has in mind the Pentateuch embodying the law. That's part of God's infrastructure for you and I. He has in mind the Ten Commandments. That's part of God's infrastructure. The Ten Laws, so to say, which Jesus summarized in two. But Paul also has in mind in this picture, the general requirements that God placed on mankind. For instance, let us look at Romans chapter 3 and verse 21. Romans 3 and verse 21. But now, apart from the law, righteousness, the righteousness of God has been known to which the law and the prophets testify. That's why, that's why you must see this as infrastructure. So Paul has the law in mind, looking back. He has the five books in mind. He has the Ten Commandments in mind. That's the embodiment of the law. And the entire Old Testament is also looked at in that fashion. But Paul is projecting this into the now, understanding that what the law could not do, as verse three says in Romans eight, because it was 
weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his son. So Jesus having come makes a distinction now between this given law and what it was meant to point to and what it was meant to fulfill. And that is righteousness in the Lord apart from the law. For the law was our schoolmaster leading us to Christ. Are you following this? It's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing. But because God has provided for it, that's why we must see it as spiritual infrastructure that's available for us to utilize. And when we don't see it that way, it becomes the reason why. We remain weak. But remember, even our weaknesses are provided for. Because we have been teaching in the past few weeks, by the power of His Spirit, He actually directs the power, the empowerment to target our weaknesses. So that where we cannot, God can. Oh, hallelujah! That is why Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because it's spiritual infrastructure that is set up. So, the whole Old Testament is in picture as well. In the Old Testament, most considerations regarding the law are seen as external. They appear external because there was this objective law out here. And in the book of Exodus, given to, to Moses at the Mount Sinai, he brought those two tablets written by the finger of God. He brought them. In Exodus 32, the tablets were broken. Because as Moses came back from the mountain, Aaron and the people had gone into some other world. And that's what the Bible describes as the fact that they got up in the morning and rose to play. And then they went to Aaron and said to him, look, make us some gods. The gods that brought us out of Egypt. And Aaron says, oh, give me your earrings. And he went ahead and had those molded and they built this golden calf. A contrary infrastructure. And they began to worship it. Moses comes down and he hears a sound in the camp and he's concerned. And then he sees what has happened. He's so upset, he throws those, those tablets of stone and he goes back before God and he's crying. He even says to God, Lord, because he knew what was at play, the fact that now God would act in judgment and blot these people out of his book. And he cries to God and says, Lord, no. 
I would rather that you blot me out. And that's where he made the famous prayer. Unless you go with us, we cannot go. And he asked for God's presence. I beseech you, show me your glory. So while in the Old Testament, the law appeared external, written on the outside, on those tablets. Let's make a transition. First John chapter 2, verse 26 to 27. A new order appears for the New Testament, which is part of this infrastructure I'm talking about. And John says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Verse 27. As for you, the anointing, take note, the anointing. So this is a clear reference to empowerment by the Spirit. The anointing received from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. Now here, he was simply trying to draw a contrast from what was externally driven to show that this infrastructure that God has blessed is actually internal. And that if we do the right thing, God can help activate this infrastructure and cause us to begin to flow and to run and to operate in it for the sake of what he has ordained in this life. Hallelujah. It's by design. So watch. You do not need anyone to teach you. Some people misunderstand this and they run away and say, no, me, I don't need to be in church. I don't need to, no one needs to teach me. But you see, when they run away, then they say, I'm setting up a ministry. Then they expect people to sit under them and they teach. But they didn't want to be taught. So why do you want to teach people if you, want, if you don't want to be taught? Because they say, no, the anointing, I don't need anyone to teach me. We've seen people do that over the years. Run off from the local church. They go out and say, no, I don't need anyone to teach me. But what do they do? <laughs> they set up a ministry, Karikeka. We haven't talked about Karikeka ministries in a long time. They set up a ministry. Not that we're against setting up ministry, but you see, how you do that matters. God must call you. He must give you direction. He must be the one telling you to do that. Hello? Then they set up, and then they set up a church. Then they want to teach people. Ah, but you, you didn't want anyone to teach you. Why do you want to teach someone else? Let's be fair. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as the anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Let's carry on. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. So projects completely into the future. And the idea here is that, first of all, there is an infrastructure created by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's supposed to work for you and I. 
activated by His Spirit. Somebody shout hallelujah. Activated by the Spirit. And it's supposed to be written on our hearts. Let's go back to Romans. Chapter 8. So here's my reading. My reading is that if these righteous requirements of the law are to be fully met in us, and he says, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit, capital S. And you see the relatedness because what was being described earlier is the Spirit. If you look at that phrase closely, the righteous requirements of the law being fully met in us, the trajectory is meant to point towards spiritual victory. That's the trajectory. How do I know? Because the next phrase says, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So the trajectory is victory. Meaning, you and I, every single day, should live a victorious life because we are provided for. Somebody shout hallelujah. We are provided for, clearly provided for. That should be the goal of every believer. Spiritual victory. So I come back to you with a question. How come you do not preoccupy yourself with gaining this victory? What is it? What's going on? This should be the preoccupation of every child of God. But how come? Again, it's because, in my view, there's a lack of understanding to see that God has already provided for us. So we don't have to struggle. God has provided. But the other aspect is the understanding of the fact that we have minimized this spiritual uh, activity that's going on. Remember, I talked about the, um, uh, the, 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 the conflict and, and, the, and the spiritual warfare that is going on. We referred to that uh, last week, and which is the reason why we're given prayer. So, let's go back to Revelation 7. And as we prepare for Revelation 7, uh, we can explore the gospel account of Matthew chapter 21. When I look at this spiritual infrastructure that God has set, I can understand why it becomes appropriate for us to tackle this subject on, uh, on, on Palm Sunday. It becomes very, very strategic. Here's the Lord in Matthew 21. From verse number one. As they approached Jerusalem and came at Bethphage, uh, of the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, 
go to the village ahead of you. Imagine, <laughs> put yourself in their shoes. You are sent directly to someone's home. Look at the conditioning of the mind. And it is no different for you and I. We have been released into this world with a clear level of instruction, with an infrastructure that's ready. But that's why I asked the question, why, don't, why, why are we so, so recessive? It's because we don't see the connection. We don't consciously realize the high-level mission that God has placed upon our lives. So just watch, watch, watch. <laughs> so he sends these two disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey there, tied there, with her coat by her. And tie them, meaning the donkey and the, and the coat, the little one. And tie them and bring them over. Would you like such a mission? You're going to someone's house. And there is a chance they will put up a fight. This is their donkey. We don't have all that detail. We don't know what happened. But they did succeed. We don't know what happened. We don't know how the owner behaved. If anyone asks you anything, if anyone says anything to you, say, to the, say that the Lord needs them. <laughs> how about that? For an assignment in the world. And he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. I just want you to see again that this is infrastructure that is set. It's not haphazard. This that we are describing here took place to fulfill what was written. So your life and mine are meant to fulfill scripture. God has already designed what is up for you and I tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. So listen, you and I must just chill nicely and begin to walk the walk and talk the talk that Jesus has designed. Oh, somebody shout hallelujah. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed. They brought the donkey. No explanation as to what happened. There may have been a fight. Somebody was like, hey, They brought the donkey and the coat and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. Hallelujah. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches, most of which we believe were palm branches, from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord.
And the Bible says, in verse 10, when Jesus, oh, let's finish up. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We finish up. Hosanna in the highest. Verse 10, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, a prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Somebody shout hallelujah. This is the question people ought to be asking when they see you live according to the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. They ought to be saying, who are these? And the answer should be, these are the representatives of Jesus. Because you're simply walking in the spiritual infrastructure that God has set. It's all planned out for you and I. Here, he's making entry as king. To fulfill what was already planned in the Old Testament. And the principle of the law here in Romans 8 is that it is infrastructure that is planned. Not as an end in itself. It's supposed to lead us higher and higher. Like I've said, the law was our schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. So, let's look at some application here. If we go to Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, we see believers from every nation holding palms in their hands. So even the event on Palm Sunday was not meant to be an end in itself. Remember, we have already said it's actually a fulfillment of what God had ordained in the Old Testament. Everybody clear with that? So they weren't doing an exercise because there was nothing to do in Jerusalem that day. No. It was a fulfillment of what was happening in of what had been prophesied in the Old Testament. Are we together there? But that also does not end there. Fast forward into the future. We see not just the crowds of Jews, as was in the case in Jerusalem. Now we see an international crowd. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from not just Jerusalem, but from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. So you and I must understand that when we remind ourselves as believers to even observe Easter or even observe Palm Sunday, this is not just an exercise to perpetuate some identity called Christianity. Not at all. This is an exercise that is part of God's design to remind you and I of the spiritual infrastructure that He has prepared for His church. In the biblical context, palms symbolize four things. Victory, triumph, peace, eternal life. That is what palms symbolize in the biblical context. Victory, 
triumph, peace, eternal life. So when they are saying, Hosanna to the king, the king is being worshipped. The king is being honoured. And they are thinking, they are realising, they are observing the fact that he is the one who guarantees them victory. He is the one who guarantees them triumph. He is the one who guarantees them Peace, He is the one who guarantees them eternal life. It must be the same for God's child today. When you think about the things that God has done, we must understand then what Paul had in mind in his letters, particularly in the book of Romans, the letter to the Romans, the, letter, the two letters to the Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians. But all that you see in there, other than what we are mentioning now, are aspects of defined spiritual infrastructure for the believer. That's what you're seeing in Romans. That's what you're seeing in Corinthians. A very well-defined infrastructure. And that is why Romans is one of the most deeply theological books written by Paul by comparison with the others. Because in there, you see this defined spiritual infrastructure pointing to victory. And in this case, you must remember the four things that palms represent. What are the four things? Let's say them together. Very simple. Number one, victory. Number two, triumph. Number three, peace. Number four, eternal life. So it's not just about waving palms. Maybe one of these times I will ask you, maybe next year or whenever, we'll ask you to go find palm leaves. Maybe you can bring them now that you understand the meaning. And we can wave them together. Let's look at some examples. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul says, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Him everywhere. So just like the two disciples sent on a mission to go and confront a system that was trying to work contrary to God's power, God sends them directly into that system. And he says, you will find a donkey, the colt, tied. And I believe, although the Bible doesn't say here, he must have told them the exact address and location. Doesn't say here, but he must have done that. Because they went and found that. They didn't go asking, oh, where is the donkey? Uh-uh. I believe they went directly, found the donkey. Got it and went back. Fulfilling the mission. Jesus had need of it. God is sending you and I on a serious mission in this life. Hallelujah. To spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. That's the mission. Everywhere. Does not end there. First John 5, 4. Showing you clearly that just like in Romans, where victory is part of God's divine 
spiritual infrastructure for the believer. First John 5, 4 says, For everyone born of God overcomes. Oh my goodness. This is the infrastructure. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. Now, he does not end there. He says, this is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. With this in mind, we can go back now to Romans 8. For what the law could not do because it was weak, as though as it was through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. So what the law could not do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that once again, they, so that, so that the requirement of the law, and we're dealing with the righteous requirement of the law, might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Somebody shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. So what we see there clearly is as victory over sin and the flesh is God's defined spiritual infrastructure. It's set, let's ride on it. It's set, let's walk on it. Many, many years ago, there was a song that was popularized quite extensively in Zambia. It was called the Gospel Highway. We are on the Gospel Highway. And that song was so popular in those days. Joseph Ziwa and, and, and his team. You won't even know who that is. That was then. But there is a highway set for you and I. Hallelujah. All right. We need to make um, the further application by drawing two implications. Remember, under God's intentionality, we drew two implications leading to prayer and worship. Here, let's draw two implications from this divine, defined infrastructure. Engineers will tell you that the built environment, which is supported by the infrastructure that's eventually set up, physical infrastructure, Is normally meant for two things. And I want to use that as the example today. When people build physical infrastructure, they have two things in mind. One, longevity. They want something that will stand for a while. Two, sustainability. They want something that will help to sustain the livelihood of the people for whom the infrastructure is set. 
How did they come up with that? My reading is that this is how God has ordained those principles to run in life. So when he makes provision for something spiritual in your life, such as the ability for you and I to be able to fulfill or to be able to have the righteous requirements of the law fulfilled in us. It means he's looking at longevity, us living long. And we heard already, if we put our hearts on God's law and we keep his law in our hearts, in our minds, it said in the song that was sing, being sung by the choir, that we live long. It says you live long. That's longevity. You live long. Longevity and sustainability. I want us to see that in the scriptures. And um, we have to go back to Romans 8. Both of these are only possible as per the conditions provided here. And let me outline those conditions because we are aware of them already. Let's go back to Romans 8 and outline the conditions. If you read Romans 8 from verse number 5, Romans 8, verse number 5, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. That's the conditionality. So it's again infrastructure that is said that if we will be able to live in the Spirit, we will fulfill God's plan. That's the infrastructure. So you can't be doing one thing and hoping to have a different result. If you want victory, apply your mind to the subjection that the Spirit has ordained. You can't be every Sunday you come to church, but Monday to Saturday, you want somebody to come and pull you out of the BRO. No, you have two feet, walk away. Walk away from there. You have to access this infrastructure that has been built spiritually for you to receive the life. And accessing it is exactly what we're reading here. Verse number six, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Verse eight, those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. It is very clear, this is a conditionality. So victory is guaranteed for as long as you access this infrastructure spiritually and you live by the Spirit. Victory is guaranteed. This is a victory that overcomes the world. Oh, somebody shout hallelujah. Verse nine, you however are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, and even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life. Somebody shout hallelujah. And if the spirit of him who raised up Jesus, verse number 11 says, dwells in you, he will raise your mortal bodies. This is the infrastructure. 
Ah, may victory be your portion. I said, may victory be your portion. In Jesus' name. Revelation chapter 7. That him. That him. You know, we were talking in the back room with the pastoral team last Sunday. We're comparing the times. (laughs) Looking back at the early days of our entrance in the faith, comparing the time. And looking at how for every one of us, once you had proclaimed Jesus as Lord, you understood that you were committed. People came to church. They knew what sin was and what sin was not. We were comparing that with today. And how it appears like sin has become gray. And how it appears that there are certain things we have to negotiate. Listen, beloved, there's nothing to negotiate. You're either in or out. You're either in or out. Look at Revelation chapter 7. I want to draw your attention there and uh, bring this to a close. So after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude and no one, that no one could number from every nation, every tribe, every language and standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice. Now, I want you to keep in mind the fact that we're discussing a defined infrastructure. Listen to the language. This is a hymn now. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. And this ties with everything we've talked about here. This is a lifestyle. This is clear infrastructure that the people in heaven and those here on earth ought to see as a spiritually, naturally built environment. There is nothing else that exists out there. That is why the people in heaven, day and night, do nothing else but honor the Lord. They fall before Him. They worship Him because before their eyes, if you will, for the sake of you and I understanding, nothing else exists. That is what is there. That's the norm. That's the life. The problem we have is that we have too many options. There are too many lights. Too many things flashing. So we don't know which one to pick. And when we need to be in the spirit, we are attracted by the flesh. When we need to be in the flesh, when we need to be in the spirit, something else is attracting us. And there's a constant struggle. But I'm here to let you know that if you stay close to God in His presence, you will understand that your spiritual sensibilities will be more alive and awakened. And so you will see in the spirit the infrastructure 
infrastructure that's set for you and you will do nothing else but what we are seeing here. Where your song shall be salvation. Your life shall be salvation. Everything you do will be to do with the kingdom. Say salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. So this idea of him sitting on the throne is constantly there, constantly there. And that's what I was saying last week. That is why this becomes part and parcel of the anatomy of worship because you understand that it's about someone sitting on the throne, not your favorite person here in front or your favorite preacher here in the pulpit. This is about you having a relationship with God. Read on with me. We are about to close, but read on with me because this is the pinnacle now. All angels were standing, verse 11, around the throne, around the elders and the four living creatures. Those who attend the Bible study understand the significance of that because this is a consistent level of architecture and infrastructure in the, in the throne room. There is always a description of the four living creatures, a description of the 24 elders, a description of the angels and the throne around the throne. They fell down on their faces before the throne and look at the naturality and worshipped. Worship is not this thing we program, I've told you already. And we say, now let's worship. Oh, jump two pews. You jump three. You jump four. Oh, there's glory in the house. None of that. This is about having this personal relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I can assure you, I can testify to you that there are ways when you're walking with God that He communicates with you and you hear Him him and you get an understanding that he talks to people this day and you would be sitting there as I am preaching but God is speaking to you and he ministers to you because your heart is ready. Worship is a natural thing. And look at the next hymn, verse number 12. Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength to be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, this is John now narrating, these in white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? John says, I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they that came out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of a lamb. Can you understand that? Washed their robes and made them white in the blood. What's the color of blood? So how do robes become white in the blood of a lamb? This is spiritual infrastructure where God takes a sinner who's been out there on their own all their lives. They've done all that was there to be done. They have seen all that was there to be seen. But when they come to Jesus Christ, He washes you and I. He washes you and I. He cleanses the sinner and the blood of Jesus has power. And as you think about Palm Sunday and you think about Easter, you must understand understand it's about a Jesus, a Jesus who walked on the dusty roads of Jericho and Jerusalem who made entry on that Passion Week during that Passion Week into Jerusalem, not as an ordinary person but as a king and Jerusalem needed to acknowledge him as king and beloved I call you today, you must never never ever 
take salvation for granted. Let Jesus reign as King in your life. When He reigns as King in your life, He will wash you, He will cleanse you. And if you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, it doesn't matter what you have done today. He can wash you, He can cleanse you, He can wash you clean. Look, look, I must end this, but come with me. I must go on with you uh, all the way up to verse number 19. Come along with me. And the Bible says, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, oh my God. Therefore, there's been antecedent action. Antecedent action. Action happening before this. They've been flowing. Therefore, they are before the throne. They serve him night, day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread. Oh my goodness, this is why I say to you and I, beloved, walk in the Lord. In, the, in, in, the, in another one of the varieties of the New International Version, it says they are before the throne, they serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them in his presence. Somebody shout hallelujah. He will shelter them. This is the infrastructure to cover your life. It's defined. What is clear is that for this righteous requirement of the law to be fulfilled in you and I, we live in that conditionality. Walk by the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. And to secure that longevity and sustainability, you are before His throne. And He says that His presence shelters them, shields them. Doesn't end there. Doesn't end there. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. That's sustainability. Rivers don't run out. Rivers run on, run on. They flow on. That's longevity. This is what God is talking about. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. If the spirit of him who raised up Jesus dwells in you, he will raise your mortal body. And in, in principle, Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 to 17, in light of what we've been teaching here, Summarized would be saying the presence of God positions you and I for victory. It's part of the defined infrastructure. And that is what assures you and I 
that the church will live on. Politicians come and go. Governments come and go. But he whom we sing about at Christmas, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. That spiritual government is the work of the Spirit in your life. Those who are governed by the Spirit will live by the Spirit. Those who are governed by the flesh will live according to the flesh. The government will be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace. On this Palm Sunday, I ask you to believe God, to help you to flow. This is what is, told, what is called flowing in the Spirit. Flowing, proper flowing, not, not stuff that you imagine. Flowing, proper flowing in the Spirit. Sustained. There's longevity and there's sustainability. You're flowing. And it's your portion. Victory. Triumph. Peace. Eternal life. All your portion on this Palm Sunday. And we're all destined for it. Choir, come. Let us make use of God's divine, defined infrastructure. Come. It's provided for through the Spirit and through Spirit-empowered living, which is our portion.